<coughs> last night. Tanisra spoke about the power the great power of compassion, kindness and compassion. How that quality of spaciousness, allowing, receptivity, towards those stuck places, painful places, impossible places, overwhelming places. It's somehow just in being there, listening with a non-judgmental awareness that that allows for a healing, a release. It might be ringing a little. Allows for a, a release from that contracted state of mind. She read from uh, a beautiful image of, uh, from the Avatamsaka Sutra, the discourse uh, the Buddha gave on the uh, on cultivating the path to Buddhahood, to full awakening. gave that beautiful image that really living beings, all the living beings around us are what are like our roots, nourishing our growth in wisdom and compassion. When with compassion we water the roots of living beings, when we water living beings with compassion, that that grows, nourishes, feeds the, this regal tree of awakening. Like a great regal tree growing in the rocks and the sand of barren wilderness, when the roots get water, the branches, leaves, flowers, and fruits will all flourish. The Bodhi tree, the tree of awakening, growing in the wilderness of birth and death, is the same. All living beings are its roots. All Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are its flowers and fruits. By benefiting all beings with a water of great compassion, one can realize the flowers and fruits of the Bodhisattvas and the Buddha's wisdom.
we sometimes can can think again because of our confusion around language. We can sometimes think, but, but wisdom and compassion seem so different. Actually, these these seem like two practices, but really they're not two. They both emerge out of one mind. The great saint Sri Nisargadatta, in one of his sayings, helps us get a sense of the relationship between the two. He says, Wisdom says that I am nothing. Compassion says I'm everything. Between these two banks, the life of the awakened one flows. Wisdom says I'm nothing, no thing. Compassion says, I'm everything between these two banks, that river of life, the life of the awakened one flows. This one mind has the power to to hold and to let go. In our practice, of cultivating the way we have learned to patiently, kindly hold the body, the breath, steps, the moods. But in holding steady, being with, kindly, patiently, there's then the opportunity to see. We've had the opportunity to see for ourselves the true nature of what we're holding, this so-called me, this so-called life, we have the opportunity to experience the ever-changing, ephemeral, in-breath, pulsing, shifting, swelling, subsiding. You have the opportunity to see that it's empty of solidity. You think it's this way and then it's that way. And it's the same with all these other dimensions of our being where we can't take another instant and I'm totally overwhelmed in a hopeless case and before we know it, our hair is standing on end because we're in bliss, dedicating our lives to the welfare of all living beings. In a terrible state, a beautiful state, like that bubble, it's there, it is, pop. It isn't. So with wisdom, when we start to see that all these things we think are me, or well, they're, they're me, but they're not me. They're here and they're gone. So wisdom lets go. Wisdom realizes there's no thing here, no thing, nothing that can be grasped. That's a futile, destined for frustration activity, trying to 
find a solid perch in this world of cascading changes. Wisdom says I'm nothing, no thing. And in letting go, putting down the burden, putting down that impossible task of wanting the river, as Ajahn Chah would say, it's like standing on the bank of a river arguing with it. Why are you flowing that way? You should be flowing that way. When we let go, that release... Wisdom takes one to the measurelessness of peace, to the empty, spacious heart. That's genuine taste of peace. And the Buddha said, he gave an analogy, wherever you taste the sea, wherever you taste it, it tastes salty. He said, wherever you taste peace, Deliverance, truth, it has the same taste of release. Wherever we happen to be, young, old, sick, wherever, whatever circumstance, when we let go of that grasping, of that thingness, when we release from that attachment, taste of peace. But then sometimes we can get the sense that, well, the peace, well, that's the trouble, is all out there. So then we, we get a feeling of the peace of letting go, but we still have residual, we can, residual fear, anxiety, resistance to contact. I've seen this in my, myself. We, I love letting go. I had a good chance to practice it for many years when I was sick, really sick for a few years, just lying down most of the time. Just with each outbreath, surrender to the mat, to the floor, being held by the earth, by the ground, the ground of listening. Beautiful. Dying was easy because it's just letting go. In many ways, I'm quite happy when I did a few times I've done a year of silence. And uh, part of me really loves that, the striving and the, the returning to the spaciousness. Much more challenging being with fellow living beings. But there's something one-sided if we only know how to let go. Wisdom without true compassion is limited. So to balance out, we not only need to learn how to let go, we need to learn how to embrace, to hold. And in fact, that first, if we think about it, that first taste of peace that we have comes from holding too. Remember, the first ennobling truth is suffering. So isn't that interesting? The Four Noble Truths lead to the profound taste of wisdom, tasting deathlessness. But by opening to suffering, resonating with suffering, being compassionate enough to feel with, 
this suffering and one have the opportunity then in that space to see the nature of things, realize that contraction and then let go. So actually that peacefulness emerged from suffering. Compassion says I'm everything. If our peacefulness is only in getting away, it's still limited. Also learning how to be peaceful and one with the whole. And once we start to see emptiness and realize all my suffering, all my body, my problem, my hang-ups, when we start to realize that that's a wrong way of looking, it is just Dhamma, when we start to let go, then we realize that it's not my peace and your peace, my suffering and your suffering. If you look at our vision of this room, there's what we call my form, the floor, other forms here. It's all within one Consciousness. What comes in and says, no, this bit is me, that bit is you. Those boundaries aren't really real. They're fabricated. We can talk about all these distinctions, but actually we're all arising and merging back in a Totality, just like the different waves of the sea, as we've mentioned, are of one substance. There's one substance here. So in that sense, we have this kinship. We're brothers and sisters in birth and death. The Buddha made much of cultivating wisdom and compassion. In fact, those two qualities sometimes are talked about as the great wings of the Buddha, had two great wings, wisdom and compassion. We chant it every morning when we chant vidya-charana-sampanno. One of the qualities of the Buddha is he has wisdom, vidya-charana, is that compassionate activity which responds to the sounds of the world, responds to suffering. Every action coming from a deeply wise place is that which is healing. So the Buddha made much of uh, wisdom and compassion. As uh, I think earlier in the retreat we talked about that even one finger snap of seeing The changing nature of things has tremendous power. And we explained why why is that so much power? Because our wrong view assumes a substantiality, a realness, a there's real stuff I can get hold of. This is me, that's you. And in seeing change, it starts to break up that wrong view and inevitably, inexorably, leads to us releasing and touching again our limitless original brightness. Also, the Buddha said, 
not only with wisdom. Bhikkhus, that's the word for a, a monk. He would be talking to the monks, the nuns, seekers, which we all are. If a seeker cultivates loving kindness for as long as a finger snap, he, she is called a, a bhikkhu, a seeker, a samana. He is not destitute of jhana, of samadhi. He carries out the master's teaching. He responds to advice and does not eat the country's alms food, alms food in vain. That's someone who even cultivates loving kindness for a finger snap. So what should be said of those who make much of this contemplation? Wisdom, seeing change, leads to letting go, leads to our measurelessness. Compassion or kindness and compassion also leads to measurelessness, but in, not in letting go, but in embracing. So much of our contraction comes from aversion, from pushing the unpleasant, what we don't like, what we can't tolerate, away. Leaves us in a contracted state of mind, which the Buddha said is like living within walls. We construct these walls by what I want and what I don't want. In a moment of cultivating kindness, what is one doing? One's opening up and allowing something in. Rather than, rather than con- trying to convince ourselves that, oh, I love everybody. And I confess, even in, in our monastery, uh, the monks, I think the nuns were a little more involved in us, but the monks, <laughs> we were going after the home run. I don't know if you know baseball, but we wanted to hit one out of the park. And the, it's wisdom that gets you there, folks, let's face it. <laughs> and so the kindness meditation, we really did think that it was for the old ladies. Excuse me. <laughs> but may I be well, may you be well, may all living beings be well. <laughs> And the little animals, too. (laughs) And the big animals. Everyone. And we thought, oh, that's very sweet, but... (laughs) You know, we wanted to get in there and go after emptiness, not-self, cutting through suffering. And... uh, One learns the hard way. Uh, But uh, kindness is very important. It's a perfection. It's one of the great attributes that carries one across. Because there's these places we get to, you can't just burst through with that. 
yang, I'm going to get there thing. Some things we just have to hang out with kindly and patiently. And I'm very grateful for our, our teachers uh, reminded us of, uh, gave us an accessible doorway to metta. Rather than starting from thinking we have to love everybody, they, they taught us, our teacher Ajahn Sumato, our Western abbot, taught us that the essence of metta is not fighting, it's allowing. the reflection that everything has its space. Everything has its place. To not contend with, to allow, and not to just think of it as people, yes, people, but to begin, one begins with um, with what we're touching right now. The aches, the restlessness, the, the uncertainty. The discouragement. Last full day. Did you hear that one in there sharing? They had an amazing breakthrough. And metta means allowing, not fighting. As Tanisra said last night, having all the time in the world to receive that guest. It's not trying to pretend you like everything. It's not that. It's not fighting, not harming. Even if there's a harmful impulse to, mentally speaking, to allow that, to get to know that, touch that, embrace that, receive that, with that inner listening. Notice the inner listening, that awareness, is the womb that wisdom and compassion both come out of. The inner listening gives space. When we listen, we see the nature of things which leads to release, wisdom. The inner listening also allows us to resonate with the suffering of, which is compassion. In a sense, the inner listening, the mindfulness, the heartfulness is the birthplace. Wisdom and compassion. Notice what happens when we do that. The Buddha called this the cultivation of a Brahma Vihara. Brahma means noble, measureless, divine, Vihara, abiding. As opposed to sometimes our abidings aren't so noble, they're limited, they're cramped, they're not measureless. We just want to hang on to what I want and want to keep it all else at bay. Keeping something away is contorted. Notice what happens when we make peace with, not necessarily like it, but how the body is. The fatigue, perhaps. Or the tranquility. Or the sounds... Notice if we're struggling with a sound, we don't like a sound. We don't have to like a sound. 
we're practicing metta, we allow a sound. Our teacher encouraged us, it's like you're having someone for tea. You don't only have to have people for tea that you like. You can have people for tea that you still offer a seat. You still offer them a space, a cup of tea. So that creates a, a, an abiding, a, a host place, a receptive place that's wider. The stabilizing principle is allowing. So whatever comes and goes is, is allowed. One's welcoming, that word, beautiful word, welcome. It means what comes and goes, we determine to be well with it, creating that deep space that allows what comes to come, what goes to go. So much of a block, so much obstruction to our meditation practice, all this drive for wisdom that some of these young monks had. And I'm sure women can relate to this too. Has a version in it. We just didn't want to bother with other little things. Get to that deep stuff. Aversion is an obstruction. keeps one narrow and limited. Actually, it turns out that patience and kindness and allowing allows our samadhi, our meditation, to be much more stable. The, the Buddha made much of this. He encouraged us, not only for a finger snap, that it's, you're not... You're a worthy disciple, even if you do it for a finger snap. But he encouraged us to do it for more. He gave us several images in the famous discourse on kindness. He he said, uh, you know, you should train yourself to develop a heart of loving kindness for others as to oneself, above, below, and all around. And he gave an image, he says, like a mother with an only child who she would protect with her life. Like that image. We should, we should, as an aspiration, and we're going to fail a lot, but as an aspiration to cultivate a mind that, that is well-wishing for every living being, remembering, again, remembering that ultimately, according to our wisdom, we're all these waves arising and merging back into this one Substance, this mysterious totality where we really are not two. And we are all future Buddhas, future awakened ones. So whatever anyone's done to us, or whatever we've done to someone else, if it's harmful, it's come out of some form of ignorance. But just how many times have we said something we regret or done something that we regret? That was a moment. Would we like that to be frozen for eternity? It's not our eternal nature, true nature. We let it be, let it go, and learn from that suffering. Resolve to make amends, to realign our life with true principle. 
we do that for ourselves, we can do it for others. That's the source of forgiveness, is realizing that others, just like us, struggle with ignorance, greed, hatred, and delusion. And that in remembering, everyone has this nature, awakened nature, original brightness, this Buddha nature. That helps us then let go, be kind, water the roots of living beings which grow into our own awakening. Kindness is very, very powerful. It's not forcing anything. My favorite, one of my favorite uh, memories is when I was a prison chaplain uh, as a Buddhist monk down in uh, this county. Years ago, I visited Dartmoor, the, the big prison in Princetown. In those uh, days, there was a little group of prisoners who expressed an interest in Buddhism. They had never been allowed to meet with a Buddhist monk, and in fact, they had never even been allowed to meet as a group. That was considered dangerous. Letting the prisoners talk to one another. Somehow being the full moon of May and the Buddha's celebrating the Buddha's birth, awakening, and passing into Parinibbana, somehow something happened so that uh, they were allowed to meet together and I was allowed to come in as a Buddhist chaplain and meet with them. I went into these imposing gray walls and gray faces of guards and barbed wire and doors slamming and here and here and here and here and finally I ended up in this little room with guards outside our room inside all these walls. There we were, a group of us sitting around. I didn't quite know where to start. And start, well, let's just check in with each other. And um, meanwhile, the guards outside started heckling from outside the door. They thought I was Hare Krishna, so they were going on about, Hey, how's it going, Harry? Harry, hurry, hurry, like that. And, um, <laughs> and so uh, I thought we would practice... Uh, I thought, well, this this is a case for metta meditation, kindness meditation. And so I said, well, maybe we should just practice some uh, kindness (laughs) meditation. And the guy on my right, this is a neat guy, the guy on my right's name was Arthur. And he said, I don't have any kindness. He said, if I had the chance, I'd break his neck again. (laughs) And... uh, Part of me was thinking that's a real good start to our metta. <laughs> but he he had um, he was honest. He uh, had uh, his his wife had had an affair and he had killed the guy. Uh, and then I was very grateful for our my teachers. I said, well, we don't have to pretend anything here. Can you allow 
that conviction, you don't have kindness, you don't have compassion. Just that conviction. Can you just be with that? Not pretending anything. Give space to that. Just as we'll do with this mocking voices outside there and all of us, however you're feeling about anything, we're not trying to pretend anything. We're just not adding any more fighting to the mix. Just letting be, allowing, to the best of our ability, welcome what's presenting itself to us. And that experience was one of the most beautiful meltdowns, what I call a meltdown. Because when Arthur did that, something started to soften. He started crying. And we all just kept opening to, allowing the voices of the guards and the walls and the different feelings we had. Nothing was a disturbance. It all just was what it is. Let it be. Let it be. We got to this big place. We weren't in prison. We walked out of there. We were flying. I got to leave. They stayed, and I'm sure they reverted, but they had a taste. We all can keep tasting what, as the Buddha said, softens the heart. Not by pretending, trying to pummel the heart into softness, but just allowing, 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 by honoring that guest of I have no kindness, by letting that voice be heard. Letting that voice truly be heard. That was enough. And he knew. He knew he does have it. He had it all along. He just didn't know. Like Mr. Mandela, locked up for 27 years, going blind in the lime mines on Robben Island, He could have just become more and more and more embittered and blaming. But in some point, he just realized he had a choice. He decided he, he learned Afrikaans. He learned the language of his enemies. He wanted to understand his enemies. He had such an effect on everyone. The jailers, too. He was determined. That prison he turned into a university. We have a choice, and this is such a powerful practice. Whatever seems to be imprisoning us, haunting us, to even in a moment open to it, allow it. Let that magic happen, the mystery happen of what happens when we cultivate the Brahma Vihara, the wider 
the more spacious abiding. I love, Tanisha and I both love this Rumi poem that touches, touches this. Many of you probably know it. It's sometimes called guest house. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond 